0: Shelly, let's face it, texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And mm-hmm. it's not even legally compliant.
1: Mm, this is where our friends at RecText come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, it's designed by recruiters for recruiters, so you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rectxt.com, mention the Recruitment Flex, and get 10% off annual plans.
0: Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge.
1: And I'm Shelly, and we talk all things recruitment starting right now.
0: Welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge, and as always, joined by my lovely co-host, Shelly. Shelly, good morning. How
1: are you? Well, hello, Serge. I'm great. Thank you very much for asking. Today, we have a special guest on the show. Joining us, a fellow Canadian, Leah Carr, who is the CEO of Tiller. Leah, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here today. Thank you for joining us. Now, what part of Canada are you in? I am in Toronto. Ah, the center of the universe. Yes. I won't say that. <laughs> Definitely the center of the financial universe, maybe
2: for Canada. Yes.
1: And Leah, for those in the audience who don't know who you are, talk to us a bit about your journey and how did you end up in the HR tech world?
2: I've been mostly in fintech, done a bunch of fintech startups. And after the last one, very randomly ended up at one of the big banks. And even more randomly, ended up being CTO of digital banking. And I say that's random because I'm not technical. I got hired to do strategy and operations, and then someone left. And all of a sudden, I was leading this 250-person development team, which grew over the first six months of COVID-19 to about 400 people. Wow. And between that and launching and growing teams at startups, that's where a lot of my HR experience comes from. I've always been a very people-first leader. And truthfully at the bank, I felt like I spent three years fighting for the people with HR and with leadership coming from startups into a big company. There's a different mentality. And eventually I said, okay, I either become complacent or I leave and I would never become complacent. So I left and I was working with an executive recruiter and he presented me this opportunity with Tiller and I had never thought about an HR tech company. And as I started learning about it, I was like, yeah, this is exactly what I love the most about my job is helping people be successful and helping companies hit their goal. And that's how I landed here. And, you know, it's it's been fun. Those of us who joined with me, we feel like real founders of this company.
1: Before we go too much further, Leah, the name of the company, Tiller, T-I-L-R. Talk to us about the name. Okay. Yeah. If you
2: look at some of the old logos, it's actually a submarine and Tiller is what directs the submarine. And so the idea is that we're helping people direct their careers the way that Tiller helps direct the submarine. And I believe that's the same term that would be used for sailboat or other boats.
1: Ah, thank you. <laughs> Help us understand a little bit more about what problem that Tiller solves. Yeah.
2: The big problem we're solving is that the way we invest in learning and development is broken. You know, we talk to a lot of people working in HR and talent roles, and we all know and generally accept that the number one reason people leave their jobs is lack of development. But then our answer is, hey, here's $1,000. Go and learn what you want. But then what happens? Someone goes out and I'll use a really extreme example here. They learn to play guitar and they come back and they're like, well, I want to play guitar for the company. And you're like, but we don't want someone to play guitar for the company. And then Mm -hmm. your employee is like, but you paid for me to take this course. And you're like, but we didn't tell you to take this course. And now you've wasted time. You've wasted money. Everyone's frustrated. And we forget that learning and development isn't just taking a course. You have to then come back and have the opportunity to use those skills. And so at a very high level, we are helping employees and companies grow together by aligning the goals of the people with the needs of the organization.
0: And how do you do that?
2: We start with every employee on boards and builds a skills profile. And we look at not just job experience and education. We also look at volunteer and life experience, which we think is so important because we don't all have the same networks or you know opportunities to get the job we want early on some people may go out and volunteer and why wouldn't you want to leverage the skills it's really about leveling the playing field and letting people bring their whole selves to work we also do that with proficiency so you'll have the full skill set of the employees along with their proficiency in each skill Okay, and then we move to role architecture so through your job descriptions It'll give us a starting point to help you figure out the skills and again, the proficiency for every role in your organization. We can then show you where the biggest skills gaps exist, how you're closing them, how they're growing. As you're comparing people in the role to the role they have and you see those skills gaps, we link directly in with Coursera, Udemy. You can recommend courses that individuals take to fill those skills gaps, but you can get even more detailed. As a company, you can build learning plans. Let's say you're a big accounting firm, and you're looking to move people from audit into cybersecurity, you can build a learning plan that involves coursework, project work, coaching and mentorship, or you might have a path that's everyone who starts out in a customer service role follows this path. And that's a great way to ensure everyone has the right skills to succeed from day one. And then we also have career pathing. So your employee Again, I'll use a more extreme example because it demonstrates more easily. You could be a junior finance person and say that you eventually want to be CFO. We'll show them. Here are the five different roles you're going to have to have between the role you have now and CFO. We'll show you the courses along the way. So people can really visualize that path for them. Or a manager and employee could work together on a more individualized career path. Let's say for someone who wants to move from marketing to products, because as we know, careers aren't linear anymore and people like to try different things before they pick their path. And then finally, I'll just add in the one last thing is we have a great Boolean search. So we don't use work as a development opportunity enough. How could we, because the tools don't really exist with our platform. You can do a great search on, let's say you need someone with these five skills or these six skills. We'll show you everyone in the organization who has those skills. And you can toggle between that and those who want the skills. You can build project teams with people who have the skills and people who want the skills. And now you're using work as a development opportunity
1: as well. Leah, like I love the idea, having worked in corporate myself for half of my career. One of the biggest challenges, or I see a couple of challenges. First of all, love the idea of role architecture versus job description, because creating job descriptions is a skill and talent in itself. And many times it's just regurgitated, right? It's what we had before. Let's add a few more things. And the tool itself is used for determining compensation. And it's not multi-purpose. But when you talk about career pathing, the other thing I find is that employees don't know what else is out there. I could build my skill profile not realizing that I, as a junior accountant, would actually be much better as a analyst. I have skills, but what about my interests? What am I naturally good at? Does it take that into account or is that part of the future plan of what Tiller will do?
2: Yeah. So that's definitely part of future plans is integrating with some sort of behavioral assessment or I don't want to say personality assessment, but one of these tools, you just have to pick the right one. And so we've gone down the path exploring a bunch And we're not comfortable yet because there's a lot of responsibility on that assessment. We definitely want to do it. I think it would actually be so interesting to be able to show, here's what your behaviors tell us and here's where your skill sets match. But I think this is also really interesting for hiring and it's something we've played around with. I have this tool that I eventually want to launch, which I have a working name for it: Hire and Train, the idea of being able to Show an organization, hey, no one excellent applied for your role. And when I say excellent, I mean in terms of a skill set match. No one who's a very good skill set match applied for your role. But look at these 10 good candidates. They may only be, let's say, 60% skill set, but they're 85% behavioral. And the idea of companies getting more comfortable with hiring people who you know are going to succeed in the role, you just have to set them up for success and invest in them. And that's where I think the behavioral component is so important. Especially because the skills for jobs are changing. They've changed 25% in the last seven years, and that's supposed to double in the next five. People don't necessarily exist with the skills that we need to hire. We as a society need to get more comfortable with, we're going to hire someone who we know is going to succeed, but it's on us to make them successful.
0: Leah, what we hear on the news is basically a labor mismatch. There is a lot of people employed. There's a lot of companies looking for people. And then there's a the flip side where there's layoffs in different sectors. So what we're seeing is really a skill mismatch. But one of the things that I see between HR and, say, recruitment is work siloed in a lot of ways, even though we work in the same department and we're going out recruiting for a role not realizing that we probably have that skill set internally. What's your advice for HR departments that are laying off and still hiring? Because we see that 18,000 people laid off. Amazon still has 8,000 jobs posted right now. So how can we help companies bridge that gap?
2: Yeah, it comes down to you have to understand the skills that reside within your workforce. And it's not enough to use an AI tool that is inferring skills based on job descriptions and job titles, because you're just going to make generalizations. Mm. You actually need to ask the employees to build this profile. And there has to be a level of trust between the employer and employee that it's being filled in honestly, and by the employee to the employer that the information is going to be used to help them grow their career. In the right culture, that trust will exist. But if you don't understand the skills that exist within the workforce, then yeah, you're going to do layoffs and hire at the same time. And I've seen this before in the last startup I was at, about 50 people were laid off. And I looked around and said, I don't understand some of the people that were laid off. And sure enough, they were trying to hire them back. What companies also often confuse is the difference between someone who's a low performer and someone who's junior or inexperienced because they're completely not the same thing and i see a lot of those mistakes happening because we don't understand the role architecture and then we don't understand the skills gaps that someone has to their role and back to something shelly said before when people write job descriptions we all know what they do they'll go on google marketing manager job description and then they're like this sounds great and then you build this salesy job description when you ask you know what can recruitment and hr do don't write your job descriptions only for sales. Actually sit down and think about the skills. And so we have a lot of teams using our tool for this. They'll write their job description, they'll extract the skills, and then they'll look at the skills coming out. We bucket it for companies based on market data into should have nice to have bonus. If all your skills are sitting in bonus, you've probably written a job description for someone that doesn't exist. But more importantly, it's time for recruitment and HR to sit down and say, okay, are we on the same page about the skills that need to be brought in? Because most often you're not. And so you hire some superstar candidate, but do they have the skills you need? They may, they may not. That's a great way to get on the same page is don't just write a nice job description, sit down and break it into what are the skills we're trying to hire? Let's make sure we're bringing in the right people.
0: Shelly, you Mm -hmm. want to chime in here?
1: Yeah, I did. I just wanted to say the other part of that equation, Leah, is do job seekers list their skills? We've trained them or conditioned them That somehow there's a robot somewhere in the applicant tracking system that actually reads a resume, which we know isn't true. How do job seekers know to write a resume that is skills-based? You're right. We've been trained that keywords matter, and in some cases they do. And again, this
2: is very dangerous because you have people going in and typing customer service. And if your resume says customer service, you'll be found. But if you wrote customer success or customer support, you're not coming up in that search. This is a tough one. I really think that resumes alone. Are just not the way to apply to jobs. And, you know, I don't mean that you should do it. If you ever applied for one of these jobs where you give your resume and then they make you go through and fill in your job experience and then you abandon the application because it doesn't make any sense. Well, there should be a step where you build a skills profile. And it's something we hope to achieve and help companies with in 2023 because everything I'm reading right now is just skills, skills, skills. But I don't think people have wrapped their head around what does this actually mean for us and the truth is there are not so many tools available we're definitely not the only one yeah. I'd say we might be the only one for smaller and medium sized businesses but this is the year where everyone needs to get one of these tools because we're moving into a period of slower growth yep. the days are gone where i remember being at a company where we were like by this date we want to have 200 people which is a crazy goal <laughs> now it's okay how can we Be really lean and not overwork our team. Make sure everyone has that work-life balance. And so the answer is skills. Understand the skills. Let people play to their strengths and help them grow at the same time. And it sounds like this perfect little fairy tale, but with the right tool, you can do it.
0: Skill-based hiring is a massive paradigm shift for a lot of organizations and organizations that are still used for this. We need a six-year university degree, but these people are coming into the workforce and not really ready for the workforce that is very skill-based, competency-based. This is the ever-ending argument, the importance of a university degree in this current workforce landscape. And you recently wrote an article that I thought went pretty deep into it. Do you mind highlighting what's your thoughts on people that are coming out of university or even coming out of high school? Where should they focus to be ready for this current workforce that they'll be going into?
2: Yeah, it is an ongoing debate. And obviously there's degrees that are going to remain valuable. If you want to be a doctor, then obviously we (laughs) want you to go to university if you're going to be a software developer it could go either way yeah we have co-ops coming in from the university of waterloo every semester and they're fantastic they're learning great things in school but i've also worked with developers who are self-taught i think if you're going into university or college now it's really important to think about what type of career you want. And and it's hard because you're so young when you go in. On the one hand, having a degree is not going to hurt you. That's an important thing to remember. You know, I have an undergrad in poli sci. Am I using anything I learned in school? On one hand, no, but there are skills I picked up for sure. Like learning that one professor likes big words. So you right click on the thesaurus Mm -hmm. and put big words in your essay and you can get an A. Sounds silly, but that's a really good sales skill. There are a lot of things you can pick up along the way. Education has value regardless. But it's important to think about what kind of career do you want? And if you want a career in, let's say, sales, maybe you're not going for a four year diploma. Maybe you're going to learn really good communication skills and negotiation skills. And maybe at the same time, you're volunteering and doing fundraising for a charity because that's a great way to start gaining those skills. Also, as a student, think about what are the skills I'm going to need for my role and where is the best place to get them? companies need to be more open to, and we've had a few ask us about this, is equivalencies. Yeah, It's just easy to ask for an MBA, but it's better to think about, okay, MBA or we want someone who's got X number of years experience in this skill and has this proficiency in this other skill. So I think equivalencies will be a big thing. I don't know about you guys, but I haven't looked at someone's education in probably at least five to 10 years when I've interviewed them.
0: I haven't as well. It's one of those things that you look, Do they have relevant experience for the job that I need to get done? And that's either on their skills or their experience itself, depending on if you're leveraging your resume.
2: Companies need to be more open to roles that are actually entry-level. Like when you see a BDR role or an entry-level customer service role, but then they want one to two years experience, I think why? This is like the greatest opportunity to bring in someone who's eager and train them and give them the skills. And I recently interviewed someone for a BDR role. They were working in the stock room at a DKNY. They, on their own, were taking courses online and doing everything they could to learn sales skills. I don't have the sales infrastructure to bring them on, so I sent them to a friend. They got hired, and they're performing really well because someone gave them that opportunity. Companies should think about, what are the exact skills that we need someone to have? Can we train them? How fast can we train them? And then create the person you want. I'm so sick of reading. There's not enough A players out there. It's not the people that are the problem. It's the company's unwillingness to let people be A players by setting them up for success and investing in them.
0: Yeah. Do you know how many times I see entry level? Then you look at the job ad and it says two to five years experience. I would say at least 70% of job ads that say entry level, which is crazy. I do want to go back to what you mentioned at the start when we talk about learning and development budgets. A lot of companies are cutting and a big part of cutting budgets is usually in learning and development. So how can organizations take a whole lot less and give a good learning experience for their employees so they can grow their skill sets?
2: Companies... Could spend less money and get more out of it. That's part of what we say our platform can help you do. We're using the like spray and pray yeah. <laughs> model to learning and development. And it just doesn't make sense. It's about being strategic. Don't give people budget that they can use at their discretion. It doesn't make sense. And maybe there are roles where. I'm wrong. Let's say you have developers, you're giving them a Udemy license, so they can do some real time unblocking and learning for themselves. That's a different thing. And I think yeah. that's fine. But when we're talking about real growth, not 15 minute, 20 minute little blocks of content, you need to make sure you're aligning the goal of the employee with the need of the organization. Because again, someone needs to learn and then come back and develop. So I'd recommend don't give people budgets have a budget. And then the way we see companies do this most successfully is you ask everyone to do their skills profile and you tell them in your next one-on-one, we're going to review your skills profile and we're going to review your goals. And people are going to have multiple goals. You'll rarely have someone who says, this is my goal, because you should have goals about upskilling, goals about gaining new skills and short and long-term career goals. And then you have the managers who can work with HR and the employee to determine where's the best investment for both of us because we want the employee's time to be well spent, it's valuable, and we want to get a return on our money. Make sure you're selecting and investing in the learning that's going to be able to come back and equal development and equal more contributions to the company. I've read this stat that every dollar you put into LD gives you $30 back. That's true if you're doing it properly. If you have a leaner budget, use some of it to get a tool that can help you do this. And then make sure you have that strategy and that alignment, because that's the way you can spend way less money, but
1: actually get way more outcomes. Love it. So Leah, does Tiller work side by side with an existing HRIS because I know coming from the corporate world, the skills inventory or even credentials inventory products were very cumbersome. And what people ended up doing was keeping spreadsheets of who's coming up for training, who needs retraining. How does Tiller fit with existing HRIS systems?
2: Yeah,
1: The spreadsheets
2: are real. At the right? bank, no joke, we would put 400 people in a spreadsheet and all we'd want to know was back-end front-end, full-stack developer, and even that's a challenge because when you have 20 people on their team, someone's coding in front-end now. You may not know that they're actually a full-stack developer. Moving off spreadsheets is important. And yes, we tie right into, I'll say almost every HRIS system. There are a couple that don't have open APIs, but we've got almost all of them. And we'll pull your hierarchy, we'll pull job titles. And so you don't have to manage employees in two places. Someone leaves the company, we'll pick that up from your HRIS. A reporting structure changes, we'll peck that up from the HRIS. And then we also integrate with the LMS and e-learning piece. Right now we've got Coursera, we've got Udemy, we're just looking at another one. But our platform's built that if a company has their own LMS, we can do a custom integration for them into what they're using.
0: Got it. What's your process for implementation?
2: If we're integrated with your HRS, we're honestly talking about the click of a button. It gets okay. five minutes and you're up and running. What would take time for a company, depending where you are with your job descriptions and how much job architecture you want to have set up before you launch to the employees, that is where some time could be spent. And if you want to have learning paths in there before employees come in, that's where the administrative tasks lie with Tiller. But in terms of setting it up and being able to send it to employees to do skills profiles, like five minutes and no IT. Your IT department doesn't need to be involved, which is really nice.
0: One of the things that we've talked a lot about is your existing employees, right? And you also have a product that is more focused on the recruitment side of it. Can you talk a little bit more what that looks like and what the evolution of that product is?
2: Yeah. So right now, that way our hiring product works is it ties into your ATS, so you know, lever or greenhouse, and it'll extract the skills from your job description and then the skills from the resumes of those who apply and will surface skills-based matches for recruiters. The other great thing that product does is it will also, if you want, show you skills-based matches of people who didn't apply to that role. Maybe they applied to other roles, but they actually match better for the role you're currently recruiting for. That product works, but we've talked about this before. People don't write their resumes to have skills extracted. What I'd like to do at some point is take the skills onboarding from our internal product and put it into the hiring product so that we can surface better skills-based matches for recruiters. But that also gives us the opportunity to show recruiters candidates along with training, because there are no perfect candidates out there anymore. The skills gap is growing. This is actually the craziest stat I've read in a long time, and it's from Corn Ferry. They predict that by 2030 in the US alone, there will be 8.5 Trillion dollars of unrealized revenue because of the skills gap. Companies hmm. will not have the people they need to compete. It's really important we start wrapping our head around perfect person isn't out there, but we love this person. We think they'll be successful. Here's the three month, six month, nine month training program we're going to put them on. And we'll be able to do that if we bring the skills onboarding into the hiring process. And the other thing that's great about it is you can say to a candidate, Hey, spend 20 minutes doing this, and we guarantee you'll get considered for
1: this role. I think that's essential, Leah, when we look at job seeker behavior, because something you mentioned earlier was most ATSs, or at least the old fashioned ones, make you apply, and then you've got to spend another 45 minutes figuring out how it parsed your resume. Oh, and now we're going to ask you to fill in a skill assessment. The key is going to be if that skill assessment that they're doing or inventory that they're doing is something that they can transport to other companies or jobs that they're applying for. We're really depending on Tiller being coming a global standard, Leah. So are you up for I mean, that?
2: I would love that. That sounds like a dream. To be able to say that we helped people get in jobs where they can be happier and more successful and that would be a great legacy for the company and I know that everyone who works here would be super happy. Hopefully we'll be back here at some yeah. point in the future talking about that. Yeah, it's not so impossible and I hope that it's something we can do in the future and we release features fast. We have a lean team that can do things quickly so uh amazing
0: Tiller has, or the companies that you work with now, you probably have a lot of data, right? Of the particular skills that are most in demand right now. Can you give us any insight for job seekers listening? Like what skills should they be focused on in this current economy?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting question. And I'll go beyond Tiller data because I research this and read about it a lot. The number one in demand skill is actually communication. Okay. And I say actually, because I think everyone's expecting it to be something technical. Yeah. What's happening is that in 2007, the um, World Economic Forum predicted that 45% of jobs would be eliminated due to automation and AI. But instead, what happened is basically the opposite, which is that jobs changed. And we could say maybe they changed for the better because the mundane and repetitive tasks are being automated. But the non-routine, more challenging work is what's coming up in jobs now. While the technical skills are definitely in demand and they're going to remain in demand, it's a lot of the, let's say, softer skills that are really what's coming up. Sales is a great example. There's a lot of sales automation tools. But at the end of the day, people want to be sold to by a human. And so this is a job that's really in demand right now is the ability to read someone, the ability to sell to someone the way they want to be sold to, build the right presentations, understand what their problems are and how you can help them. It's these softer skills. This is what people should be thinking about. People who are in elementary school now are probably going to be in jobs that don't exist today because of the way jobs are changing. Those tasks that cannot be done by a computer, those are the skills that are really in demand and are just growing even further. They're actually growing 25 times faster than any type of routine work.
0: Hmm. I am not I surprised. Were,
1: yeah, I thought you were going to say being a team player. So thank you for
0: <laughs> for
1: surfacing the fact communication is still the underpinning skill. And the greatest challenge is being able to measure that. Because yeah. in in my career, Leah, I've interviewed thousands. Communication is such a subjective skill everyone thinks yeah. they have it, but how do you prove it? Yeah. So- and and what does it mean? I remember early in my career,
2: someone said to me, I did French immersion. And so they said to me, your career has moved faster than your communication skills. And I went and took this writing for business professionals course. I didn't even tell this person. And a few months later, they were like, what did you do? I noticed <laughs> a difference. And I said, yeah, I went and I took a course because they were right. And it was a really good piece of feedback. And sometimes we think about communication as can we spell properly? Is our grammar correct? But it's also about, are we framing our writing in a way that people are actually going to read our whole message and understand what we're saying? And there's lots of ways you can do this. Of course, is one thing. And second is just learning from people. I had a leader who worked for me at the bank whose communication wasn't great. And I said, listen, when you're sending a important email, send them to me and I'll redline them for you. And I did that for a few months. And at the end of the year, When I did his 360 review, everyone said, this guy's communication improved drastically this year. It's something that you have to really think about, like, what am I communicating in my role? Am I just talking to the person sitting next to me? Or am I sending out emails that people really need to, you know, understand the flow and understand what to do with the information I've given them?
0: the last couple of years, so let's say the last three years has probably been the biggest change in the world of work that we've seen, at least in my career. Any predictions of what we should expect in the world of work in 2023?
2: It's so hard. It feels a little messy. You have people fighting for remote work. You have people fighting for hybrid work. You have companies being villainized because they want people back in the office. I think we'll land somewhere hybrid. I personally like being in the office. I like commuting. It's a great time to listen to a book or a podcast or music, depending what sort of detox or hype up you need. Yeah, I think that fight's going to Continue and uh, I don't know where it'll land. My big prediction for 2023, and I'm obviously biased, but it's skills. It's crazy that we've gone this many years knowing what we hired people to do, but not knowing what they actually can do. It's a big miss to company operations and it's such an easy fix and it has. So much impact in so many areas beyond HR. This is the year where we're on sales demos today, and people are like, Oh, I've never thought about this. Next year, I think it's going to be, Oh my God, we're behind. We haven't moved to a skills first strategy. I'll quote Brene Brown because she recently had this sort of graph that came out, and she talked about how we went from the era of strength, where we needed physical strength at work, to the era of, I can't remember what she called it, but basically, cognitive, data science, and technical. And now we're in the era of, she called it heart, where we need to lead with empathy. And we need to focus on productivity and making sure that people are happy and that mental health is a big focus and figuring out what it actually means. Because we all know we want our employees to be happy, but I don't think we actually know how to do it and strike the right balance. And some companies swing too far this way, you swing back. We'll figure out a a really genuine way to do that this year.
0: I wish I could predict how the world of work is going to go as far as in office or hybrid or working from home, because there's definitely pressure with the economy changing this year that a lot of CEOs want people in the office.
2: Yeah, it's also, I mean, unpopular opinion. But I don't think most people like remote work as much as they think they like remote work. Hybrid is a nice place to land. There are days where you could really sit at home and be super productive and get things done. But a big part of burnout is remote work. The disconnect from work doesn't exist if you don't have even a five-minute commute. Going from your basement to your main floor, that's not really a disconnect from work. This is... Part of burnout is that everything just molds together. You know, we go to the gym before work, after work. Now we have gyms in our homes also. You can see like my Peloton's there behind me and I have weights over there. I never had that before the pandemic. There are aspects of remote work that people like, but there's also aspects of the office that people like. And a lot of people I know who have gone back who said they never go back, they get to an office for a day and they're like, oh, wow, I missed a lot of this. And so I think hybrid is a nice place to land. It's a little unpopular, but We'll see. My team does come in twice a week together. They wanted to come in. They wanted it to be the same days and they love it. And I survey and say, Hey, you guys want to change anything? No one has. We've been doing it for almost a year. It's also about figuring out what is best for your workforce and your team.
1: Yeah. You've nailed it. Leah. It's talk to your people. Yeah. Back yeah. to the number one skill communication. That's right. Don't assume. Talk to your people, ask people, get their feedback. Give feedback. What's working for you? What's not working for you? That is such great advice, Leah. Thank you.
0: Perfect. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the show. So anyone listening to this wants to learn more about Tiller or wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way?
2: Yeah, Tiller.com or my email is Leah, L-E-A-H at Tiller.com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. I do post every day. So feel free to send me a connection request or give me a follow.
0: Tiller, dot com really appreciate you coming on
2: thank you so much for having me thank you
1: leah welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit fuel your purpose and connect us all we believe in the incredible power of the human spirit